How do you know if you're a Christian or not? If it's by faith in Jesus Christ that I become a Christian, well, how do I know I've got enough faith? Or or how do I know that I'm actually believing in the right stuff? Um, If I have to repent of my sins to be forgiven, which I do, well, how do I know if I've actually repented of my sins? Have I actually turned my back on them? Or or am I still sinning and I, I haven't yet become a Christian? How do I know that I'm saved? How do I know that I'm a Christian? Some of us have these questions in our mind sometimes and we're just not sure. I mean, I know my car's registered because it's got a rego sticker on it, right? I know the battery's charged because the, the voltmeter says so. I know the cake is cooked when I stick the little wire in and I pull it out and it's not gooey. Is that right, Jenny? Yeah. I know the meat's cooked when there's no more pink in it. You, you, you guys know that that's the God-given indicator as to, as to whether meat is cooked or not, don't you? Like, like, I'm sure you lot eat your meat half raw. Um, <laughs> there's lots of measuring sticks to, to know different things, but where's the measuring stick for being a Christian? How do I know if I'm a Christian or not? How can I go through life with an assurance that, yeah, I am actually good with God? And not only this, God has told us to look forward to to spiritual heavenly blessings. How do we know that they are there? What guarantee is there that they even exist? And and if so, what guarantee is there that that I actually get to benefit from them, that that they're part of my future? How do I know that I'm not just getting led down the garden path and there's really nothing at all at the end of it? Well, being baptised doesn't make you a Christian. Lots of people get baptised. Some as adults, some as infants, and yet many of them go through life and don't really know God at all. Going to church doesn't make you a Christian any more than going to to McDonald's makes you a hamburger. Uh, Putting a lot of money in the offering box, that doesn't make you a Christian. Being confirmed doesn't make you a Christian. How do I know that I'm a Christian? How can you know that you're a Christian? There's nothing like, quite like a good clearing sale, is there, man? Who here likes a good clearing sale? Not many of yous. I like a good clearing sale. And um, my wife doesn't like them so much. My dad, he always loved a good clearing sale. And he, whenever he went to clearing sale, he'd always go prepared. And when we got there, me and my brother, well, we'd always we'd go and check out the motorbikes and, and the utes and stuff like that. But, you know, I... I've sort of thought back in my memory and I actually can't remember my dad ever putting in a single bid on on any one of those sorts of things, um, much to our disappointment. My dad, he had other sorts of stuff in his sight. He would bid on what me and my brother saw as piles of junk. And, uh, of course, now I'm a little bit older, I can actually understand why. Because like he'd buy buckets of hydraulic fittings and boxes of pipe fittings and, and big bundles of scrap metal and, and then, then tins of nuts and bolts and screws and washers and all sorts of stuff. And he'd only ever pay a few dollars for it. And now I understand that you know, even if you just buy one hydraulic fitting from a shop or, or one pipe fitting from a shop, then it costs as much as what he'd pay for this whole box full of stuff. But the biggest savings we used to have, of course, was saving trips to go to town. So you might have to connect one pipe to another and it might take 13 different pipe fittings to get there, but we always had enough to be able to do it and save yourself a trip to town. But anyway, I started out telling you the story to tell you how he was prepared. 
Before he left home, he would put two things in his pocket. A Nico pen and a big wad of labels with strings tied to them. And he used to carry these in his pocket. And as soon as a bundle of very precious junk um, was knocked down to my dad, out would come one of these tags, out would come a Nico pen, and he'd write Jim Brumpton on it, and he'd securely tie it to that heap of junk. That way nothing got left behind. Later on the day, he'd send me and my brother down the rows and we'd find ourselves walking past all of the rows of motorbikes because no matter how much we looked, there'd be no labels with Jim Brumpton tied to any of those. Um, and then we'd come to, guess what, piles of junk with, um, with these labels on them. And we'd gather them up, nothing would be left behind. They'd go into the trailer and they'd begin their journey to their new home, our shed. Can anybody guess what our shed looked like? And every time we put something more into our shed, my brother and I would say, well, thank goodness we're never going to have a clearing sale. And, but, of course, that day did come when they decided to sell the place and um, we did have a clearing sale. But when my dad bought something, he put his mark on it and he tied it to it securely and said, that's mine. That was my dad's version of a seal. Christians are sealed by God. And that takes the guesswork out of whether you're a Christian or not. I'm going to tell you a little bit more about that shortly. We're picking up from Ephesians chapter 1, verse 11. Now, for those who were here last week, you'll probably remember that as Paul starts his letters to the, letter to the Ephesians, he's a preacher who's cooped up in jail, right? He's under arrest, he's cooped up. And he's just overflowing with good news that he needs to tell somebody and there's no one to tell so he writes a letter and he's overflowing with praise for God and he praises God for his marvellous plan of salvation. Before the world was even created, God knew who he was going to choose to be his child and one of the most wonderful blessings is the blessing of the doctrine of predestination. God chose you. Long before the world was even created, God chose you. And he determined that you, when you would be born all of those years later, would become one of his children that he was going to adopt. And now we're into verse 11 and he's continuing on in this theme, helping us to understand just how much of a blessing it is that we're adopted. And then he's telling us how we know that we are adopted. Verse 11. In him we have obtained an inheritance having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will. Right? God's got good things in store for us. It's God who decides. God works to... Does someone want to chase the bird away from the communion bread? It's about to eat it. (laughs) The Holy Spirit's a dove. That's not a dove. Get away. (laughs) Bring the bread up the front here, Mrs. B. (laughs) Okay, so God decides and God works to God's glorious plan. Verse 12, so that we who were the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of his glory. Now, who's that? Who's he talking about when he says, we who were the first to hope in Christ? Does anyone want to claim that fame? Were any of us the first to hope in Christ? No. No, sorry. 
Oh, well, you might be. I don't know your heritage. Um, he, he's actually referring to, to the uh, Israel, to the chosen people of Israel. Luckily, we don't have to guess what he's talking about. He tells us because we just turn to where, where Paul's writing another one of his letters. Letters He's writing to the Romans. In Romans chapter 1, verse 16, he says, I am not ashamed of the gospel. I hope you're not ashamed of the gospel, by the way. But this is why he's not ashamed of it, because it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. To the Jew first and also to the Greek. You see, something we have to understand is Jesus Christ came first and foremost for Israel. He came first for God's chosen people. And Israel are God's chosen people. And notice I'm saying here that they are his chosen people, not were. They still are his chosen people. Christ came to redeem Israel for his praise and glory. But he didn't only come for Israel. If it was only the Jews that Jesus came to save, well, we might as well all pack up shop now because there aren't too many Jews living out here in this part of Queensland. There might be a few, but there isn't many. The gospel is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. Now, I don't know whether you know or not, but even in Old Testament times, you could actually become a Jew, even if you weren't born as a Jew. You could convert. And part of this conversion was you, you, you would um, commit to, to, to being a, you know, one of God's people. But there was a sign. There was a mark that they would put on you at your conversion. And for the men, that was to be circumcised. And for the society, your society had to observe the Sabbath. Right? So Christ came not only for the Jews, but he also came for the Gentiles, for people like us. Israel were God's chosen people, only now we also are welcomed into his family. Only this time we don't get marked by circumcision, we don't have to observe the Sabbath. When we become a Christian, we are marked with a much more important mark. We are marked with a much more spiritual mark. It is a mark that cannot be faked and it is a mark which leaves us with absolutely no doubt that we are indeed one of God's children. Reading from verse 13. In him you you also... So he was talking about we, we who were the first to believe because Paul was a Jew. But now he's saying you also, so he's talking to the non-Jews, he's talking to us, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation and believed in him, you were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. Okay, So when my dad used to go and buy some junk, he'd put his seal on it. That's mine. That was his guarantee that he was coming back to pick it up, that it wouldn't get left behind. And when you became a Christian, God sealed you with his Holy Spirit. Now what does that mean? 
Well, firstly, I think it's important for us to see what Paul's definition of being a Christian is. He doesn't use the word Christian, by the way. I'm just throwing that in to help us work out what he's saying. But according to Paul, when does one become a Christian? Well, I'll tell you what it's not. It's not being born in a so-called Christian country. Right? So some people think that Australia is a Christian country. It's not, by the way. It's a secular country. But some people think, well, if I was born as an Australian, then I'm born as a Christian. No, that's not what it means to become a Christian. It's not being born to Christian parents either. Because God doesn't have grandchildren. God has children. And then the rest are strangers. It's not being baptised as a baby that makes me a Christian nor is it being baptised as an adult that makes me a Christian. Becoming a Christian is not the act of trusting in Christ for earthly blessings. That's not becoming a Christian either. Becoming a Christian is not even being healed in the name of Jesus. Jesus can heal you without you actually becoming a Christian. Nor is it living a life of doing good deeds. This is what Paul says about when we are marked, when we are sealed with the Holy Spirit. When you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him. Truth is a very important word in the Bible. Um, It's very fashionable today in our day and age for people to say, oh, well, your truth isn't my truth. Well, that's a load of rubbish. Two truths cannot be mutually exclusive. There is only one truth and God reveals that truth to us. Now it's a very important word because there's a lot of false gospels out there. Um, Come to Jesus and everything is going to go well for you. That's a false gospel. Come to Jesus and he'll heal your marriage. Come to Jesus and he'll fix your financial problems. God loves you just as you are. He made you just as you are and so you should celebrate yourself as you are. You don't need to change. All of these are false gospels. And there's lots of them out there. And false gospels will not save us. What does it take to be saved? The word of truth, the gospel of your salvation. Now that word salvation is a key word there. Salvation just means saved. Right? Being saved from something. We have to be saved. Now that, that should yell out at us. Well that means I've got to be saved from something. Well what is that something? Well, we'll find out in chapter 2, when, which is next week, and Justin's going to be bringing the message next week, and that's what all, chapter 2 is all about, what we're being saved from. We're being saved from our sin. But hearing the word of truth, knowing the gospel, hearing the good news of salvation is only part of it. There's something that we have to do as well, and that is to believe. Not just to believe about it. Not just to believe about Jesus. Not just to believe about salvation. It is to believe in Jesus. Do you know the difference between believing about and believing in? To explain that difference, I'm going to do the kids' story. The kids want to come on out the front? Does anybody know what this is? A rope. A rope. 
Yeah. Have you got a rope like this at home? No. No. Why not? I'm sure you've got a rope at home. Do you have a rope at home? Not as big as that. Not as big as that. Ah. This is this rope is very, very, very strong. You pull. Do you think you'll be able to break that? (laughs) (laughs) No, no. This rope, it's not the best stuff for tying stuff down with. It's not very flexible. But it is important. Does anybody know what sort of rope this is? No, it's not rigger's rope. Well, I don't know. It might be used as a rigger's rope. I don't know. It's a rock climbing rope. Actually, this one, there's two different types of rock climbing rope. Um, There's one called a, a dynamic rope and there's one called a static rope. Dynamic means it's got give in it. It's a stretchy one. So if you're climbing, you use the dynamic rope because if you fall... And you might fall, ooh, maybe 15 metres before you hit the end of the rope. You get, how, how fast are you going by the time you've got fallen 15 metres? You've fallen pretty fast. And you don't, <coughs> let me tell you, you don't want to come to a stop at the end of this rope if you've fallen 15 metres because it'll just break, break you in half. <laughs> the harness will get very tight and do some damage in some very important places. Um, but, um, but this, this rope is designed for abseiling. Does anyone know what abseiling is? It's where you use the wind to control your boat. No, no, that's sailing. That's sailing. This is abseiling. Abseiling is where you jump off a cliff. That's right. If somebody told you to jump off a cliff, would you just go and do it? No. no. Oh, well, would you do if you've got one of these? No. Right? <laughs> So this rope... Yes, Mrs. Brumps, I used to go abseiling. Yeah. So this rope, you tie it, you tie this rope very securely to at least two anchor points at the top, just in case one isn't strong. Okay? Alright, so you tie it very securely to two anchor points at the top and then you put it through a figure eight and attach it to your harness and you back off a cliff. And this rope is so strong, it would be able to hold up my whole car. Okay? So, I know that this rope is not going to break. Who believes this rope will not break if I hang off the end of it? Yep, yep, yep. <laughs> you, you might think I need to have a diet or something. I can assure you, who believes that this rope will not break if I hang off the end of it? Yeah. Now... Some people, sometimes we, we teach other people to abseil when we used to do it for youth group and that sort of thing and everybody, everybody believed that rope was strong enough to hold them. But some people, we could never get them to go off the cliff because they believed about the rope but they didn't believe in the rope. Believing in the rope is dangling 50 metres. That's over 150 feet for you old folk. Oh, so you know, you know feet, not metres. Okay. 
<laughs> believing in the rope is dangling 50 metres above the rocky ground below. <coughs> believing about the rope but not believing in it is when you just, yeah, I know it's strong enough but there's no way on earth that I'm going off that cliff. Okay? Why don't you test it out? Yeah, that's right. Why don't you test it out? And that's the same with Jesus. Some people believe about Jesus, but they don't believe in Jesus. Until you stop trying to hang on to everything else, some people trust in their own works, their own strivings. Some people trust in their own hopes and in their own dreams. Some people worry about everybody else's expectations, what other people think of them, and they're trying to satisfy those things instead of just believing in Jesus. Let go of everything else and believe in Jesus. Did you know even the devil believes about Jesus? Even the devil knows that Jesus exists. Even the devil knows that that God is, is powerful enough to save us. He believes that and that scares him. Because he knows that God is so strong, he's beaten him. Okay? So that's what we have, to, we have to remember. Okay? We need to believe in Jesus and trust in Jesus. Don't just know about him. Okay? Right up. Everybody back to their seats. Is it strong enough to pull 100 people? Strong enough to pull 100 people. Yeah, I reckon. Maybe not. Oh, to pull them, maybe not hold them up and jiggle them up and down. (laughs) And when you believe the truth about Christ, the truth about salvation, and believe in Christ, God says, that's it. You're mine. And at that point is when you become a Christian. And God seals you with his Holy Spirit. Now take note of when this happens. A lot of people ask me, Michael, when when does the Holy Spirit come? Well, there's your answer. It's when you heard the truth about salvation, believed the truth, and believed, put your trust in Christ. When you became a Christian, you received the Holy Spirit. That's not the end of it. There's also something called being filled with the Spirit, baptised with the Spirit. It's when the Holy Spirit comes upon you in a new and powerful way to empower you in life and in service to God. And sometimes that power just comes. Sometimes it's at salvation when we first trust in Christ. Sometimes it's at baptism when we're baptised into the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Sometimes it's when other Christians lay their hands on us and pray for us and, and, and pray that the Holy Spirit will fill our lives and fill us with power. But the initial seal of the Holy Spirit is when you trust in Christ. The Holy Spirit moves in and he sets up house in your life and he begins his transformational work at that point. We better keep going. Having the Holy Spirit in your life is the guarantee that you're you're a Christian. He is, and and I say he when I'm referring to the Holy Spirit, because the Holy Spirit is a he. It's not an it. 
I know I even find myself sometimes referring to Holy Spirit as, as it. Don't refer to the Holy Spirit as it. It is one of the persons of the Trinity, the Father, the Son and the Holy Spirit. Um, we need to change our thinking about the Holy Spirit so we understand that it is God himself, Holy Spirit is he. And he is the guarantee that we will inherit eternal life. He is the guarantee of, of future spiritual blessings. God lives only where it's holy. True? Think about Moses when, when he was at the burning bush and God said, take your shoes off, you're on holy ground. Why was it holy ground? It's because God was there. God is, lives where it is holy. Therefore, if God is living in you, there's the proof that you're holy. You are one of his holy ones. Remember last week we talked about saints and sainthood? We are saints. Paul refers to us as saints. We are holy ones. That's what saints means in the Bible. And so we know that we are one of his saints because God's not going to make his home where there's a mess. He's going to make his home where it's holy. And he's done his work in us. All right? So that's all very good and nice, but how do I know then that the Holy Spirit is in me? Because we've gone from asking, how do I know if I'm a Christian? I've said, well, it's if the Holy Spirit is in you. Well, that's all very good and nice, but how do I know if the Holy Spirit's in me? What we've done is we've just shifted the question. How do I know if the Holy Spirit is in me? What's the test? Well, I'll tell you what the test is not. Some denominations will tell you that the test is if you can speak in tongues or not. That is not the test, whether you're filled with the Holy Spirit. Spiritual gifts are never the test, because spiritual gifts can be faked. The Bible tells us that the devil tries to mimic and and counterfeit things that God does. And the Bible is very clear. We do not all have the same spiritual gifts and we shouldn't expect that we do. So that's not the test. The test is a very simple one. Because wherever the Holy Spirit is, there you will find the fruit of the Spirit. I don't know how... I should look back through my sermon sometime and see how many times I've used the word fruit of the Spirit. It's just such a a wonderful thing. The love... Joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. And if these attributes are increasing in your life, well, there is the direct evidence that the Holy Spirit has set up house. Um, I know that we've moved into a house because Robin keeps doing a thing in the house. You know, there might be some new curtains or some, some new, new places to put things in the kitchen and new this and that and the other. When God sets up house in our lives, he's always making alterations to make it more like his home. Now, we, we rarely find that a, a sudden and complete transformation and we should never expect a brand new Christian to be instantly transformed in all areas of their lives. This is a process that God works at in us. And, and we find about this growing of the fruit of the Spirit in Paul's letter to the Galatians. But let's come back to Ephesians. What does he tell us here? Paul had heard two things about the Ephesians that had convinced him that they were sealed with the Holy Spirit. First, he had heard about their faith. Even from prison he'd heard about it. And the other thing that he'd heard about 
was their love for other Christians. And there is the evidence. If the Holy Spirit is in you, your faith will be recognisable. It won't be something that you keep hidden. Faith is there to be seen. It's there to be shared. And you will love other Christians. And when Paul heard these two things about the Ephesians, it moved him to do two things. It moved him to thank God for these Ephesians because I've heard about your faith. I've heard about your love for others. It moved him to thank God for them. And then it moved him to pray for them, to have an even greater experience of the Holy Spirit. He prayed that the Holy Spirit would give them wisdom. He prayed that God would reveal himself to them in new ways so that they would know God even better. Now there's a lesson here for us. Don't ever be content that you've made it. Don't ever be content that, yep, I've gone far enough with God, I've got a pass mark or whatever. Never be content with that. Always yearn in your heart to go deeper and deeper into God. Paul was never content with that. He knew that they were Christians. He recognised that the Holy Spirit was inside of them, but that he wasn't content with that. Paul longed for the Ephesians to know God even better. He prayed that God would reveal himself not just to their minds, but to their hearts, so that they would know in their hearts the wonderful inheritance that he's prepared for his saints and that they would know the immense power for God. Now, when I read that prayer of Paul's, I just realised that this is a pastor's prayer. Do you know what gives me the greatest joy? The greatest joy in my life is when I see the Holy Spirit at work in you lot. That gives me joy. You mightn't recognise it in yourself, but sometimes I glimpse, glimpse something in the people of this church and it's something that only God can do. And he does it in spite of me. He does it in spite of who we are. And my heart just leaps with joy because I know that God has been doing his work. Sometimes I see the fruit of the Spirit beginning to show in new ways. Sometimes I see God breaking down walls and building up spirits. Sometimes I see a measure of faith in someone that I've never seen in them before and it's just evidence that the Holy Spirit is doing his work in them. And so I give thanks to God for that but I also pray that God will give us a deeper experience of his Spirit. I pray that that you would know God better and better every day. I pray that each one of us would crave to know God. That that we would crave him and that we would study his word and, and pray and experience the Lord in everyday life. And please, I hope you're praying that for me. Because I'm the same as you. I'm on a journey with God. I'm following God. And I need your prayers that that God would just put this hunger in my heart as well. But I also pray that you will know and experience the power of God in your life. Christ is all-powerful. He is above every ruler and authority. 
and Christ has been given to the church as its head. We are his body, he is the head, and the power of Christ works by his spirit out through the body. And my prayer is that the Holy Spirit will fill you not just with knowledge, but that he would also fill you with his power so that we as his saints together will not be weak in our service, that we will not be weak in our love, that we will not be weak in our faith, that we will not be weak in sharing our faith, that we will not be weak in preaching the gospel, but that we will be strong, that we will be effective for the building of his kingdom in this place. Lord, open the eyes of our hearts that we would know you better. Fill us with your Holy Spirit. Fill us with your power for your purposes to be done and for your glory with Christ as the head. That's my prayer. And that's Paul's prayer for those Ephesians.